Welcome to Aging for Beginners with Dr. Doug and Dave. Dr. Doug Wilson is a leading medical researcher who has spent the past 30 years reading every bit of research there is on ageing. He knows a thing or two about getting older, and of course he has a vested interest. He's 82 and he's in his prime. I'm Dave King. I'm a middle-aged man with terrible genes and a fear about what the future holds. Can Doug set me on the right path? Welcome to Aging for Beginners, your podcast on how to get to 100. Doug, how are you? I'm, I'm very well, but I'm not quite sure I'm going to get to 100 by the You're, end of this. <laughs> I'm confident, Doug. You need to, as, as you always say, you're going to be there waiting for me when I get to 100. So, you know, with your genes, anything is possible. Now, now Doug, I've been um, worried about Delta, and obviously we're in the middle of a Delta lockdown. I just wanted to get you to run through the history of the strain and, and basically what makes it so tricky and so worrying. So what is Delta all about, Doug? Well, I think the first thing is we've got a lot of experience around the world um, with the COVID-19 infection, and there have been a variety of different mutations, different variants, um, different strains, depending on what you call it, uh, which we've eventually concentrated. The majority of those cases have been with the alpha strain. So there's a lot of experience around the world, including New Zealand, when it was in, went to lockdown previously, because we were experiencing a growth of cases from the alpha strain. But more recently, as a consequence in some ways of the um, epidemic in India, a strain emerged which has now been labelled Delta, which has some significant differences from alpha. So it makes it very difficult to predict the outcomes of what will happen in our handling of the Delta strain with causing infections based on our alpha experience. And I remember, Doug, right, right at the beginning of all this, you told me it was going to mutate, and that was that was going to. There was no doubt about that because they change, don't they? They do, and yeah. and the, all 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 viruses mutate, and they can produce modifications which can be beneficial for the for the virus improving its capacity to infect. So here are the differences that have emerged. The Delta is sixty percent more transmissible appears to bind more effectively to the receptor on the human cells. So it's basically more infectious. Sure. So that means that you're more likely to catch Delta. And as a consequence of that, it's rapidly replaced Alpha in most countries of the world within two to three months. And it does, what is its R factor compared to the R factor of um, Alpha? Alpha is probably two to three, which, two to, which suggests any infected individual might reinfect two to three other people. Yeah. Whereas with Delta, it's probably up to five or six times more uh, in, in infectious. Right. Um, but they also got a shorter incubation period between contact and emergence of symptoms. So it makes it harder sometimes to suddenly find what's going on. Someone presents with an infection, you know, a few symptoms, but at this stage, they're already infected and you don't have the sort of couple of days of warning that's, that's around it. It's now in 148 countries wow. and it, it grows to the extent that in many countries where the um, infection has been rampant, uh, Delta just almost grows so much faster, it, re it replaces the majority of people who might have alpha infections. So in effect, it has taken over the whole of the 
pandemic and the characteristics of Delta make the, pan the Delta pandemic significantly different from Alpha, significantly worse and significantly um, more rapid. So countries who had Alpha under control, which was Vietnam, Singapore, Taiwan, Iceland, Australia, Fiji and New Zealand, all have had huge breakthrough of the new infection based around Delta. So it's almost it's, it's ignored what's 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 gone on before. I guess the countries where this is maybe most dramatic would be uh, Vietnam, which earlier had single single figures of cases with, with Alpha, now up to ten thousand a day. We experience in both Victoria and New South Wales, and Ryman, of course, had his own unique experience there, which we should touch on, just to let us know what happens. So at this stage. Before we got Delta, we did have the issue of can we produce a vaccine? Now, producing a vaccine is something that has not been available in any new epidemic or pandemic before because it takes so long to get there. The world record had been the mumps vaccine, which took four years from onset of trying to produce a vaccine till the first approval. And at this stage, the world was faced with, and, and my judgment was, I thought we might be lucky if we got to the, the first vaccine clinical studies on our, uh, on our desks around about now, when in mm. fact, everything has gone on and the first vaccine were produced in three to four months after getting the, um, getting the sequence of the virus from China, three to four months before you could actually have a new vaccine op option out there. And then very quickly, very quickly, they ran clinical studies to prove that the virus or to assess the virus's capacity to protect patients from, from, from infection. So there's never been anything quite, quite like this in terms mm. of experience. So there were a number of different pharmaceutical companies who got together. Some shared the, uh, the intellectual property with others. Some did their own thing. The, the ones that were... were, were the three most high profile was Pfizer, which is combined with a small German company called BioNTech. The second was Moderna, which combined with the National Institutes of Health in the United States. And the third would be AstraZeneca, who were adopting a more traditional form of vac vaccine development, whereas Pfizer and Moderna produced one based on messenger RNA, mRNA, where the objective was you would produce a version of RNA, which is a, uh, which is really the, 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 the news deliverer from the, the, the nucleus of a cell to the, the protein factories within the body. And so whatever you, you instruct mRNA to do, it, it instructs the body to produce a particular protein in consequence of the recipe they're carrying around. Mm. So we, there had not been a, any clinical vaccine studies in mRNA, but there was a great deal learned about it, known about it. So the, the technology was just merely adopted, and away it went, and it was and it was fast. Mm. I've had um, the mRNA vaccine, and I uh, I'm still here. <laughs> it's wonderful, <laughs> and I did read that um, the FDA has approved it now, so it's no longer a experimental. It's actually. Uh, now a fully fledged. So, so this is the Pfizer BioNTech. Um, Correct. Yeah, it's it's um, because it's 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 now in an extraordinary number of people, which is the biggest. Um, 
which is the biggest safety study you can do, isn't it, really? It, it is. It is. I think the, the, the first magic was, was getting the vaccine. The second magic was doing the clinical studies. Yeah. Because they ran, um, Pfizer ran a study of over 43,000 individuals in multiple countries around the world to mm. find a, after two months of, of exposure after the vaccination, uh, people have been vaccinated, how much protection they had occurred. So doing these studies at a time when the infection was rampant meant that you had clear clinical observations on were you mm. stopping infection, were you preventing serious infection, and were you stopping deaths? Because there were enough positive cases out there. It would be very difficult to do it now. Oh, for sure. And, and so in your 60-odd years of medicine, have you ever seen anything like this? This is a, this is a miracle, isn't it? This is amazing. It's absolutely a miracle in, in terms of so this is, I, I think there's three miracles. And I think the first first one is producing the virus, the mm. producing the vaccine. The second one, in fact, is running these massive clinical studies to show both efficacy and safety. Mm. And the third is tooling up factories which are able to produce millions of doses of this in a way that satisfies regulators and can consistently deliver. So mm. it's 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 magic magic on magic. So we've got magic, but we've got to vaccinate. Magic's only good if you use your magic. I think, I think the issue then becomes uh, different countries adopted different approaches to, to use of the vaccine. Mm. So it was quite startling for individuals to find that protection from serious infection, protection from uh, hospitalisation, protection from going into intensive care unit or death was something in the order of 95% for the Moderna and the Pfizer and uh, AstraZeneca only a little bit behind. So when people that then suddenly had in their hands a vaccine that by December last year, December 2020, we had a vac uh, access to vaccines that could almost, we thought at some stage, almost eliminate mm. the in, in, in infection because it was so, it was so, so effective. However, when you start to introduce something new like this, it is not always straightforward. Vaccines are only as good as the vaccination rate that you do. Some countries started very, very quickly. UK started in December. Uh, Israel started about the same time. And other countries sort of followed suit rather slowly sometimes. But, the, but the, as, as two examples, the UK and, the, and Israel were very, very rapid in their first few months of vaccinating individuals. And what was clear from the observations were that people who were fully vaccinated, which were a couple of doses, a couple of shots, people who were fully vaccinated had greatly reduced risk of infection, greatly reduced risk of getting into hospital, greatly reduced risk of going into ICU, and greatly reduced risk of death. So the initial clinical studies that suggested 90, 95% when it came into the real world and people were uh, vaccinating away, it was the vaccinated community who were those who were least affected, at least need to go to hospital. And in fact, more recently in the United States, where they've had a huge surge of new cases all around the United States in both serious and fatal cases of the, of the infection, uh, they now call this the epidemic of the unvaccinated. Mm. So the unvaccinated are much more susceptible, the vaccinated are much more protected. Uh, and that's as it was uh, until two or three months ago. 
So that basic premise still still hangs, but all yeah. that is was based initially on the alpha via the alpha strain. I see. So you say this delta changes everything. The delta is making changes. It's very difficult to keep up, and therefore, when you give opinions on interpretation, it's hard to do because studies are difficult now. Different results in different countries, different variables such as how much public health intervention occurs. So. What we now know is that um, almost all the surge waves of new infections, which are occurring all around the world, are Delta. And there's no question that of the people who have not been vaccinated, they are much more at risk. The age population is changing. More and more of people where the, 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 the fatal outcomes of the disease or the serious cases were tended to be in the older, vulnerable population. That's now merged a bit. It's now much broader and more commonly in some countries, the most common cases are and, and serious cases are those of the younger population, 20s, 30s and 40s, many of whom are not vaccinated because of the age sequence that was described from the alpha experience as being less susceptible. So they'd start with the elderly as being the most susceptible, most susceptible at risk and move down the age group. But now you find as you haven't moved completely down the age group, that group is now vulnerable as it seems as though the uh, Delta virus is less dependent on age for it to cause an infection. Mm. So there we go. Mm. So the, the other issue is we, we, we know now that the Delta vaccine, the, the Delta infection is as, tra- is as transmissible from one person to another in terms of number of virus particles as the original alpha. We now know uh, that, that the number of cases who have been vaccinated, they still seem to be able to contract the infection, but it's usually either asymptomatic, innocuous, mild, and only occasionally is it more severe. And in those populations, it's the non-vaccinated that seem to be at much higher risk. So at the moment, we have a somewhat messy situation. Mm. We know that if we bring in vaccination to as many people as possible, that is beneficial to those individuals. And where, but it is not stopping the vaccinated people from getting the infection. So you can have a mild infection rather than a severe infection, but you can still get infected. And if you get infected, you can still transmit it. And that means that even in the, in the fully vaccinated people, increasingly the evidence around the world is you've got to use public health measures such as we do, including if necessary lockdown, but it's essentially mm-hmm. masking distance, keep your distance, washing your hands and, and, and that, that type of issue. So it's, it's a half and half at this stage. Mm. Mm. So the um, fact is if you're vaccinated, you can still get it, but it will be less severe. That, that is clear. You can, you can get it. it. It can be very, very mild and you can transmit it. So the problem for that means that of those people who are fully vaccinated, they are not immune from, they're not protected from getting the infection because they can get the infection. They're just protected from the more severe and dangerous outcomes and they can still pass it on. So what's the um, ideal vaccination rate? I mean, you can never get 100%, can you? Because there'll always be people who can't or won't. Would it be anything above 90 or... There's this, I think there's, there's enough disagreement now around the world in terms of what would be the optimal 
proportion of the population, the vaccinated proportion of the population to, to, to target. And at times when the vaccines were initially in use, getting to 50% was sounded good. Mm. When you then started at 90%, could you in fact um, get to 60, 70, 80? Mm. What is the target? And you'll find all sorts of opinions out there now as to what is the optimal target that might give you some sort of herd immunity. One stage it was 70% of the population, then it was 80% of the population. Then some people felt you had to get to 90% and more and more people saying they don't know. Mm. So it's, it's the experience from around the world that we need to assemble and shake out and see what happens. And every two or three weeks we get more information. So one of the critical pieces of information at the moment is, does the vaccination protection fade with time? Mm. Now, we have some information about this. The most curious and, and troubling information is comes from Israel. And Israel, which were almost the fastest to vaccinate more and more people of the population, have then subsequently, from a time when they were going to open their doors for tourism in, in, in July, August, had to, had to abort that decision because they were getting a whole series of new cases themselves despite the vaccination. The majority of those new cases were in a non-vaccinated population, the unvaccinated. But as time went on, there seems to be some evidence that it's as if the immunity from the vaccination is starting to fade. So you're more likely to have an, uh, an episode of an active infection if you're vaccinated, if, if you're vaccinated six or eight months before compared with if you were vaccinated in the last two or three months. So that that information is is insecure compared to what other countries around the world are talking about, but it now exists. And the concern of that is, well, if the if your um, protection starts to fade, uh, and it's not uh, across the board fading, it is essentially it, um, just getting the infection, mm. uh, but it still has some protection against severe cases. But none, nonetheless, if it fades in time, what do we have to do? Do we need annual boosters? Do we need any boosters at all? So the only country that, again, is ahead of the game here is Israel again, and they've now used booster jabs at about one and a half million people. They do have a population of just under 10 million, so they now suggest that they're getting some early evidence that the third booster is making a significant difference in kicking up your immunity, giving you a lot more protection. And so it may be the way to go. Of course, the problem is that we need worldwide protection and vaccination mm. to control the, the pandemic. And if we can't do that because we're using the vaccine liberally in other countries, then we're, uh, the world is in some strife. I, that, this begs a really important question I never thought of myself, which is uh, how often, so I've had the Pfizer vaccine, I've had both. Do I, is that an annual vaccine or is that a lifetime vaccine? Sorry, that is such a dumb question, but. No, it's not. It's, I, think that, I don't think there is an answer to that at this stage. So, so it could be we just get a top up each year. It, it, is, it, 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 it is possible and Pfizer are now arguing about that. There are some curious, modest differences in terms of the preliminary information about how long the protection lasts. It mm. now suggests that possibly AstraZeneca vaccine may protect you for a little longer, 
than the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. So that's the difference between an RNA vaccine and a traditional vaccine? Correct. In some ways, it's the persistence of the immune trigger, namely the spike protein on the virus, uh, depending upon how this is then handled as part of the vaccination process. So um, we're at the stage now, what, what, we, what we know, and we'll come back to the New Zealand situation. Yeah. It seems as though New Zealand, by adopting once again a lockdown procedure to eliminate the virus at this stage, is doing something that is logical. We know it has worked before. We know in some countries like Taiwan, it is working now in terms of knocking back the virus, but it's harder because the Delta spreads so much more. The fact we've got almost 500 sort of centres of interest shows mm. how much the possible transmission might occur. So at this stage, uh, as a management for now, it is the obvious thing we have to do to try and beat the virus back, although the chances of beating it back permanently, I think, uh, from my personal view, and I think others might have, is almost negligible just by virtue of how many things have to go right to control the virus from coming into the country and spreading and how few things need to go wrong for that to escape. So that means in the background, to protect us from the virus, we need the public health measures and we need vaccination. Now, we have been very slow in terms of our vaccination rates for the reasons that uh, it's difficult to get to the bottom of. Mm. And in fact, it is extraordinary that um, uh, organisations, once they have more freedom from some of our bureaucratic controls, uh, are able to do wonderful jobs in getting vaccination. So just comment on where Ryman is at, Dave. So we, we're at about 95% for um, staff and residents. We've had, uh, since lockdown and Delta, we've had a, a drive. We were going really well. We're in the 70s, but it's given us that impetus to get that high. And by comparison, the, the New Zealand public health is at 21%. So it's, a, it's an extraordinary sort of difference. The other thing that we can co you can comment on is... During the time when there's very little infection around, as there has been over the past few months in New Zealand, it's difficult to say if the vaccine is offering significant protection. But, it, but we also have villages in Victoria and Australia where a lot of the, the area has been under lockdown because of active infection. Can you comment on what's... What yeah, so, so our villages in Victoria, um, where we're at an even higher vaccination rate, sort of well into the 90s, we haven't had a single case of COVID um, and there have been 200 days of lockdown in Victoria with both strains, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it's just... Um, it's just a fantastic take-up um, of the vaccine of staff and residents. And I guess you could put it down to two things. One is that the residents of the polio generation, like your generation, Doug, who, who just see their vaccine for what it is, a gift, uh, that'll keep them healthy and alive. Um, and then the other thing is education and, and just keeping on going and and I think um, not being complacent ever about this. But I certainly so. New Zealand's had a massive wake-up, hasn't it? I think so. And I think it's just um, we, what we know going forward is we, we have to proceed with the, the present lockdown um, as, as we are 
as, it, as we've been doing. That's the logical thing to do at this stage. So we do okay. have our vaccination engines. Yes, we do. We do. We need to rev it up. And, and there are good signs that it is revving up. But would you say that we have to live with Delta? So from what you said a minute ago, it's somewhat inevitable, isn't it? Because it is so hard to stamp out. I think that a comment from Sir David Skegg, the epidemiologist who has been talking with the, with the government and leading committees, is suggesting we're likely to have this around for this generation and perhaps possibly more as it slowly sort of winds itself through into the human experience of, of background infections. Mm. But it's very difficult to see it going away. Um, you, I may be wrong. Uh, it may, may well go away spontaneously. That would be great. But at the moment, it seems as though it's going to be around and that will mean without any question that vaccination will become the serious tool to assist us in returning our lives to some sort of normality. You can produce new vaccines that may be more appropriate for the particular strain, in this case Delta, by doing some studies. Very simple to change an RNA vaccine uh, just in a, in, in a few few weeks. So I think that's likely, and I think we'll just have the circumstance where um, provided the hospitals. Now, here's another issue. Are our hospitals up to standard if we get the, the way breaking out of just positive testing and into clinical cases, as has happened in, in Australia? Mm. other countries in the UK, because our hospitals are pretty stretched now. We, we're, we're aware of that. Has that been the experience in New South Wales? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I mean, their hospitals are, are stretched without any question. And, and they have parts, a much better hospital system than us too. They do have a remarkably good hospital s s structure. Mm. Um, and I just think that our sort of uh, respiratory physicians and, resp and nurses who, who are working are gearing up in expectation that things may not remain as calm as they have been. Uh, and that's that's worrying when you see the same sort of repeat uh, scenarios in the United States that occurred about a year ago, when you now are in fact looking at differences between states who do have quite different vaccination um, rates. Mm. And so those who had vaccine, vaccine deniers as part of their population or their political persuasion are more likely to see more cases, more sick people, and significantly more deaths. So it's um, it's, it's not, not a good situation, but I think we're provided we get our vac vaccination rates up and people understand that and we are told things accurately from our various leaders and hopefully things should be okay eventually. So we keep, we keep it at bay as long as we can. We vaccinate like crazy and hope for the best. That's the strategy. I think that's about the strategy, and when hoping for the best, we will learn more. Yes, yes. I think that's it. And I think, you know, the issues around aerosol, how does the virus spread? There's more and more information emerging in the last few days about that as well. So I think we following companies, countries like, like uh, Taiwan, I think are useful. They seem to have been one of the first countries that not only experienced this second wave of Delta, but also they appear in the last two or three weeks to have been able to knock it down as well. So I think we can learn from that. Um, but we've got to get vaccinated. And those people who, who, who deny the vaccination, it just becomes an unfortunate um, issue to deal with. Well, I, th I think we're well on the way, Doug. And as usual, you've made me feel more optimistic. So... <laughs> 
in a sea of uncertainty. Thank you very much. And um, just one last question. You've had your jab, haven't you? You would have been in I have, one. I'm, yeah. I'm fully vaccinated, as we understand it, whatever that means at this stage. Yeah. But it's all time day, so you can't really be sure. And there's no, no way you, people can take definitive positions in so many different things because the world just changes. I find it incredibly ironic for um, New Zealand to be criticised uh, by the UK commentators saying we've got to, we live, we're a hermit kingdom, we've got to let Delta in, uh, and 113,000 people died in the UK of COVID and we lost 26 people. So, you know, who ha who's handled it best? <laughs> it's a pretty simple answer, isn't it? I you think, know, I think the, the only missing thing there is the vaccination rate. There's a, yeah, exactly. If we can get that right, we'd be away and the Hermit Kingdom would be wonderful. So thank you, okay. Doug. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye.